0: Life, Culture and Current Events from a Biblical Perspective, 2020 on Vision.
1: Well, Dr. Kevin Donnelly is one of Australia's leading education authors and commentators. He's director of Melbourne-based Education Standards Institute and Kevin writes on a regular basis for The Australian, The Herald Sun, The Courier Mail, The Age and The Sydney Morning Herald. He also appears regularly regularly on radio and television he's no stranger to 2020 we've spoken on a number of occasions over the years but uh, kevin's book is called taming the black dog he's written lots of books but we're going to focus today on this particular one called taming the black dog Uh, kevin donnelly welcome back to 2020 uh my pleasure well, Kevin, uh, talking about this today, uh, no doubt it will strike a raw nerve or two as you have come through a significant time of grief and loss. And of course, your experience uh, is not going to be an experience that you alone have faced, but many, many others either have faced these sorts of things or maybe will one day very soon. It is something that is common to so many people, and and sometimes people hit harder than others, and you've focused in on how men respond primarily with grief and loss. Tell us the, the essence of, of why you've written your book.
2: It's a, a, an issue, as you've suggested, uh, when you look at the statistics about depression, about self-harm, even suicide. Uh there's a real risk, especially for young boys, for men, that uh, they're not able to cope with adversity or loss or suffering. And people, you know, often say we need to be more resilient, we need to bounce back, we need to get on with life. But after losing James uh, in a hit-and-run accident nearly 15 years ago now, I really started to think, well... It's not as easy as people would like to make out, you know. And for me, being a Catholic, uh, being raised as a a Christian, I realised that drawing on uh, the Bible and also a small book by Julian of Norwich, I was able to start to work through the issues. And also in the book Taming the Black Dog, in addition to talking about uh, being a Catholic and having faith, I talk about literature, music, art and the love and companionship of uh, family and friends because it's something that we just can't do by ourselves.
1: We'll talk some more about James as our conversation continues because he really is a central uh, figure in our discussion today because uh, your son, as you say, lost in a hit-and-run accident. But let me just come back to... A childhood and the shaping of a character, and uh, as you 've indicated, you love reading. not everybody loves reading the way that you do, uh, Kevin Donnelly, but you do love reading and and you 've loved uh, classic literature uh, through the development of your childhood and your early education and Of course, not all of uh, great literature is about fun things. Uh, great literature deals with. Real heartache, uh, anguish, uh, the sorts of grief and loss uh, that you go through when uh, when you lose a son. Uh, tell me about just how significant it is when you're shaped by things that are not always just fun and frivolous.
2: It really began uh, when I was at uh, Broadmeadows High School uh, in, in, in Melbourne, a working class area, uh, Dad was an alcoholic and, uh, was quite violent at times. So there was a bit of domestic violence. And, uh, really education being at school provided for me, uh, a, a, an avenue to really not escape because that was impossible, but to start to deal with issues around, uh, suffering and loss. And I was always very interested in, fables and legends and myths uh, whether it was Greek uh, fables or legends about the Vikings uh, and I read also the Iliad, the Odyssey and one of the things and there's an American writer, Joseph Campbell who talks about this that in that literature you're able to encounter adversity, difficulties suffering but through the journey of the hero as uh, Campbell talks about Through the journey of the hero, you identify with that uh, person, whether it's a a man or a woman, and uh, you start to understand that no matter how bad things are in terms of difficulties, adversity, suffering, if you have the strength and the resilience and the willingness to fight on, it is possible to overcome adversity. And uh, for me, literature has offered a very real... Avenue, if you like, to understand that uh, if you've read Greek tragedy as I have, or Shakespearean plays like King Lear, that to be human is to be prone to be suffering, and, and or to be prone to be suffering and loss. But again, it's a matter of not giving up. So literature, for me, has been one of the foundation stones on which I've had to work through losing James. Uh, and also working through growing up as a young boy in a violent household.
1: Has your love for that literature made it easier for you to pour your heart out into a new book? And talk about the black dog because one of the things you, of course, highlight is that it's hard for men to talk about these things, hard for men to talk about deep emotions. But in some of the shaping that you've had, you've been able to draw on that shaping, that tragedy that you've understood and actually loved in the literature that you've read. And, and when tragedy strikes you, you're able to almost in a, a poetic and a powerful way to express your own heart.
2: I've always loved uh, literature, so language, for me, being an English teacher, has something that I continually draw on. And uh, writing the book, uh, Taming the Black Dog, in a way was therapeutic as well, because I've always argued that it might be a caricature in the sense that Australian men don't show their emotions and they have to be strong and resilient. But in fact, you know, when I read history, when I look at... Uh, the Anzacs, what they went through, many of my father's generation in the Second World War and the Depression. There is an element in in the Australian male character which can be sensitive and emotional. But the danger is for a lot of men that they don't recognise that or they don't allow it to be seen by others. And so for me, uh, literature writing the book was one way that I could publicly demonstrate that even though you might uh, want to be manly, you might want to get on with life and be successful, that it's okay. Uh, I was actually going to call the book, uh, Brody Boys Do Cry. And, and what I meant by that is, even though you might be working class and stoic and getting on with life, it's okay to be emotional. Now, there's a balance there, obviously, because we're now living in a time when a lot of people, I would argue, are very emotional. They always want to be on Instagram or Facebook or YouTube or sharing their feelings, their emotions. So we need to balance that with also, I think, uh, having the strength and the inner strength to draw on. Uh, For me, it's religion as well, and we'll talk about that later, I'm sure, but at the same time, we need to be open to what we've suffered. We also need to be resilient and not to overindulge by being sentimental and uh, you know being too uh, too uh, as I say sentimental
1: about it. Kevin, take us back to the time that really matters here, uh, the death of your son James, a hit and run accident. Take us through some of the emotions that you went through. When you got news that your son was left by the side of the road,
2: I think anybody who who suffered a loss of, of, of a, a child or a, or a partner, uh, say a husband or wife, a close friend, often the immediate reaction is one of physical shock, and I say I say that because I know when the police came, knocked on our door, early early on the day Bastille Day it was. Uh, The first reaction is numbness and shock physically. So in a sense, you haven't had time to process what's happened, what you're listening to. So for us, you know, Julia, Amelia and I, we sat down, uh, we were shocked, we were overcome with uh, a sense of uh, fear, of uncertainty, of uh, not knowing why or where or when. So that physical uh, reaction can be there for some hours, a day or two. But then seeing James in the hospital, as we did, and having to identify his body, you then understand that it is real, it has happened. uh, There's nothing that can be done to change that. But again, I was very moved. Our daughter Amelia was with us, and she quoted a line from Hamlet, Shakespeare's Hamlet, when she saw James, and I think the line from Memories is, uh, uh, "May angels sing thee to thy rest." And so we 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 felt a sense of prayer there, and a sense that James physically, his body was obviously before us, but that his soul had moved onto a world that we would hope was uh, one where he would be with God, and. When we had the uh, mass, the funeral service, that was a very strong element as well. But in terms of grief, there are different stages. As I said, physical, uh, you know, loss, numbness almost. Then refusal, not wanting to accept it. Then a sense of anguish and grief. We cried a lot. We comforted one another a lot. And over time, anger uh, against the person who'd committed the crime in hitting James in the hit-and-run accident and leaving him by the side of the road. So there was anger there. And actually, after some time, working through the legal system, wanting to get justice and a sense of uh, retribution, that the person who had caused that was also made to suffer the consequences Over time, over many years, you then grow, I think, into a sense of uh, acceptance, of realising that life has moved on, that the loss will never be resolved or forgotten. The memory of James is with us every day. But that initial burning, uh, pain and grief, mellows with time. And I also think with prayer and an understanding that if you've not suffered, you've won the lottery, and it is part of life. And so it's something that all people generally at some stage in their life will have to deal with.
1: I note that at the end of your book, where you give a list of somewhere in the vicinity of 11 points, these are the things you do to approach the grief that potentially then leads into depression. And you say you realise that there are different stages of depression and loss. There's shock, anger, denial, anguish, weariness, resignation and acceptance. Uh, we'll come back and we'll talk some more in just a short while. Our special guest this hour and sharing his heart, telling his story, which is recorded in a book called Taming the Black Dog is Dr. Kevin Donnelly. We're back with more in just a short while. A biblical perspective on life, culture and current events. This is 2020. On Vision Christian Radio. Our special guest this hour is Dr. Kevin Donnelly. He is one of Australia's leading education authors. And today, talking about a book which is a slight departure from the sorts of things you would ordinarily read that Kevin Donnelly has written, we're talking about his book called Taming the Black Dog. And uh, Kevin, as we talk about Taming the Black Dog, the foreword in your book is written by the former Victorian uh, Premier Jeff Kennett, who was also at that time uh, leading Beyond Blue, which uh, addresses issues of depression and uh, and those sorts of mental health issues that people will often go through in their lives. Uh, he had some very kind things to say about the way you'd written your book.
2: He did, and uh, Jeff uh, made the point that if, if only one or two people read the book uh, and are uh, helped in, in that and understand that they're not alone, that uh, suffering is something that you can deal with and in a way grow through. And if the book helps one or two people, as Jeff said, then it served a very good purpose.
1: Let's talk about your Christian faith, Uh, shaped as a Christian through your young years, raised as a Roman Catholic. What difference does it make having faith when you are going through these times in your life where you are struck with the grief and loss, uh, perhaps the loss of, as in your case, your son, but uh, for others, uh, we'll all lose family members, we'll all suffer grief and loss. And for some of us, it'll be more severe and we'll develop into real depression. What difference does it make to have a strong founded faith, Kevin? I
2: think it makes a great deal of difference. The interesting story here, uh, as I mentioned in the book, my father was uh, in the Communist Party of Australia, and uh, on on Tuesdays he would take us to the Eureka Youth movement, which was the young <laughs> young communist Party. but Mum thankfully was a very good Catholic, and so it was mass on Sunday and obviously baptism uh, communion confirmation and as a young boy. Going to Mass, praying every night, we prayed. Uh, and I mentioned the little prayer that Mum taught us in the book that uh, if I die before I wake, I pray to God my soul to take. So we were raised as Catholics. And I know not that I'm a theologian or, you know, I haven't read the Bible cover to cover, but I know enough about the journey that Jesus the Christ was on. To know that he suffered for us and that to be human, we're no longer in the Garden of Eden. Uh, To be human is to be born into a world where there is suffering and loss and there is evil, frankly, and temptation. And so being raised as a Catholic helped me realize that, and mum always told me this, you had a good angel on one shoulder and a bad angel on the other shoulder and you had a choice in life to listen to the good angel. And I think that was a a very good thing, that even though it's very childish in one way, it's a very powerful message because it teaches each one of us that we do have choices in life, that we are made in God's image, and that we can draw strength through that realisation.
1: You mentioned also one of your favorite Christian authors, Julian of Norwich. And oftentimes we find that our favorite authors who are able to reflect beautiful ways that the Bible, that Christian faith uh, uh, impact on the journey of our life. Uh, But Julian of Norwich had uh, certainly an impact on you as you were uh, working your way through grief and loss and depression.
2: Yes, uh, I mean, Julian of Norwich, uh, you could call her a a Christian mystic in a way. She uh, was something that my wife, Julia, introduced me to. Julia read a small book, a biography first. And then I suddenly realized that T.S. Eliot, the English poet, had quoted Julian of Norwich in uh, Little Gidding, one of his poems. And there are the lines there, all all shall be well, all manner of things shall be well. And I think what uh, Julian of Norwich was referring to is that even though we might be driven on a storm-tossed sea, as it were, where we lose faith, uh, we lose a sense of certainty of belief, in the end, if we give ourselves up to God and to faith, all shall be well because as you know uh even on the cross and again i'm not a theologian but i remember i think jesus saying father why have you forsaken me that even jesus felt that but in the end there was the resurrection and i think with easter coming up that's something as christians
1: we should all celebrate that there is a
2: resurrection and there is a life to come. Uh,
1: That's the essence, isn't it, of uh, the hope that is in our hearts. And that hope is very powerful. Sometimes we talk about that hope for the future, but the hope of the future impacts on us in the present. And when you're going through grief and loss, uh, you lose a child. Uh, That hope is one of the things that you hold tight to. You mentioned, obviously, we've been talking about uh, literature, but music also has been a a part of the comfort that you've received uh, as you've gone through this grieving process.
2: Music uh, for me has always been very important, and uh, I was always very moved and touched that James uh, played the clarinet up till year 12 and uh, was a very accomplished uh, clarinet player. And I used to enjoy watching him practice and listening to him. But for me, after James's death, uh, music, especially requiem's, whether it's rutter or foray, uh, I started to listen to requiem's, Bach as well. And in that music, you can find solace. Uh, you can find that sense of transcendence, of a spiritual awakening, as it were. Because the danger is most of our lives, we live in this physical, secular world where we're concerned about making ends meet, about the budget, about getting through the day. But in music, you can find that still point that T.F. Eliot talks about, uh, that moment of transcendence
1: interestingly enough kevin I I'll need to i 'll need to cut in here because we 're about to go to news uh, we 'll continue our conversation beyond the news. I want to let listeners know our talk back lines open if you 'd like to contribute to today 's conversation one eight hundred three sixteen three hundred sixteen dr Kevin Donnelly. ...is our guest. We're talking about taming the black dog. Uh, Kevin, let's continue our conversation and we'll take calls from listeners on 1-800-316-316 in just a short while. Uh, But having gone through what you have gone through, uh, grief, loss and into depression... Uh, And these days, uh, you've written the book, so there's an indicator there that you're through the worst of it. But in one sense, you'll never be completely through it. Are birthdays and Christmas still especially painful for you?
2: Uh, That's very true. And uh, one of the things I say in the book, and there is no uh, closure. I mean, often you hear on radio or TV, people will say, well they have closure now because the case has been settled there is no closure i mean the reality is you will always feel the loss and and the suffering and it's a matter then of how you deal with that and for me as i've mentioned there are many ways uh music art literature the love of, of those around you and also i think prayer is very important and whether it's uh, mass or just going
1: into the local church or cathedral and praying, that also can be very,
2: very helpful.
1: We are taking some calls, one eight hundred three sixteen three sixteen. 316 316 Kevin, let's take one from Mary-Anne in Loganlea in Queensland. Hello, Mary-Anne. Welcome along.
3: Thank you. Um, 36 years ago, I was waiting for the bank to open And a lady came to me, old lady. She said, I saw you, and I want to offer you my home if you'll come and stay with me till I die. And um, she said, I did make my money through fortune-telling. Now, that should have turned me off straight away, but it didn't. I was covetous. I actually went and saw her house, and thought, it's a very nice house. And uh, my husband said, leave it alone, don't touch it. But I went ahead and not visited her again, and um, and then after that, I just lost contact. But the devil didn't forget me. He, got, he took, took my husband off me, my children, my house, and my health. Marianne... And um, I developed bipolar disorder. And anyway, I had to have medication, but I never lost sight of the Lord. I repented of my sin of covetousness, and I went to church every Sunday and prayed Mm. to the Lord day and night. Now, I was on a medication that was very bad for me. It's called lithium. Very bad for your kidneys. And for your mental outlook. Marianne,
1: what you're sharing is is quite significant. And having gone through those issues, some of those... Uh, dreadful things that happened in losing your husband no doubt Mm. were triggers for uh, those different uh, issues that you faced like bipolar and uh, let me just come uh, to Kevin Donnelly as uh, as you hear a story like uh, Mary Ann's and uh, perhaps Mm. it's it's not quite the same as the sort of grief and loss that you're talking about but all sorts of things can can sideswipe us in our lives and and then there is the medical treatments that we'll receive sometimes that makes things worse than than things might have been ordinarily. Uh, but then issues uh, like mental illness, bipolar, those sorts of things, uh, these things are faced by so many people. Uh, and uh, if you can reflect uh, perhaps uh, your thoughts for Mary-Anne.
2: Well, it is an issue. And uh, I say in the book that you, you do need to get uh, expert advice, medical advice. Uh, now, whether it's an organisation like Beyond Blue that you contact or your local doctor... I mean, it's very important not to bottle up and not to try and ignore what has happened. You do need to confront it to deal with it. And often that will, as we did, Julia and I, we had grief counselling uh, for some months after James was was uh, taken from us. So I think it's very important to get uh, professional help. But at the same time, the danger is if you can get uh, I won't say addicted that may be too strong a word but if you use medication as the only avenue to try and deal with the problem then I don't think that will be enough I mean for me whether it's uh, faith you know the lady who called in mentioned uh, prayer going to mass every week you need to do a number of things to try to to try and not that you'll resolve it, but to better deal with what you are suffering.
1: Ann from Logan Lee in Queensland, thanks so much for your input today here on 2020. Our talkback line is open on 1-800-316-316 if you'd like to join in our conversation. Uh, just to pick up on one other aspect of what Ann was sharing, and she felt as though uh, she had been disobedient to God. Uh, in going uh, to uh, look after the lady's house who had had earned her uh, money fortune-telling. Now, uh, let's not get into uh, a whole lot of uh, moralizing about all of that sort of thing, but there is something important in the idea of being obedient to God, having a clear conscience. uh, Those things that are a part of mental health, those things that are a part of having a clear way forward. Sometimes we have to deal with those sorts of things when we're dealing with grief, when we're dealing with loss and depression. Your thoughts, Kevin?
2: Well, that's very true. And, uh, I mean, human emotions, the way we act, the way we think, how we feel, how we deal with issues with one another, we are very complicated creatures. And uh, the reality is that... uh, what happened to me, for example, is after surviving alcoholic, uh, an alcoholic father, a violent father, after seeing my mother beaten and uh, and brutalised in many ways, I established a family. Uh, you know, I finished a degree, started teaching, had children with uh, a lovely wife, Julia, and in a way we were uh, happy with the world and everything was going as we wanted, but. To then lose a son when he was 20 really throws a spanner in the works, if I can use that analogy, because what I thought I deserved in terms of overcoming a very uh, troublesome childhood, I then lost the very thing that I most wanted in life, which was a settled family. So it does make you question uh, faith. It does make you question God's plan, as it were, But again, that doesn't mean you should give up. That doesn't mean that all is lost. Because as I say, Julian of Norwich, when you read her, she talks about the fact that there is good and evil in the world. There is black, there is white, there is daylight, sunshine, as well as darkness. And if we open our soul, our heart to that goodness, then it can be very healing.
1: Let me ask you about something that I don't think you address in your book, and I might have missed it, but the idea of blaming God for your loss. Now, I know that this is something common for particularly children who lose a parent or a sibling or uh, they lose someone who's very close to them. Oftentimes, you know, when you talk about grief and loss and uh, as anger begins to Emerge. oftentimes uh, young people in particular will blame God for the loss. Uh, your earlier spiritual formation, did that keep you from blaming God or did you actually entertain those thoughts yourself, Kevin?
2: Well, uh, I'd have to be honest and say it did make me doubt and uh, it's something I think that happens to a lot of people. You might remember, uh, you know, during the Second World War, during the Holocaust a very famous Jewish rabbi uh, looked up at the heavens and denounced uh, his God because he could not understand how so much suffering and pain and evil could exist in God's plan. But for me, reading uh, Julian of Norwich plus a Jewish uh, author, Bettelheim, who talks about this issue, my belief is that We are only human. We don't fully understand God's plan or what is in store for all of us. And so we have to have the faith to trust in God and that through the experience that we do grow and uh, we do, I would hope, if you do believe in the afterlife as I do, that James, in fact, is in a far better place.
1: We are taking calls on 1 800 316 316. Let's hear from Sue in Albany in WA. Hello, Sue. Welcome along.
4: Oh, hello. That was very quick.
1: That's okay. <laughs> I to
4: wait longer. Um,
1: sometimes you've got yeah. to wait and sometimes it's quick. What are yeah. your thoughts, Sue? Um,
4: yeah, look, uh, firstly, I just want to say that um, I love the Word of God and I love the wisdom in God's Word. And certainly it's been my final authority. Um, in regards to really, really believe that no matter what circumstances, God can and will rebuild, you know. Um, but certainly I've had a journey, and I believe I'm sharing this, and a lot of people will be able to um, identify if they've walked this walk because we're talking about, you're calling it depression. I actually call it normal <laughs> normal human response, crisis so it's been given this kind of negative label called depression um, throughout the whole of the word of God you see people like David and Job and um, Joseph and you know they're calling out to God and, and we could label that as depression I call it a normal human response um, I had experienced a marriage breakdown and uh When I went along to church, you really feel the indifference when you've experienced that, when you're standing in church and you're surrounded by these uh, what feel like perfect families. Um, And so how do you make sense as a Christian in that? Because not all of us want that. Not all of us wanted to be raising our children on our own. Um, But for some of us, that has been our lot. And how do the Christians respond to that? Mm. Do they add to this sense of depression?
1: Sue, you raise a really important point there, that when you turn up at church on Sunday, a lot of people will have their Sunday face on. It's like a Sunday smile. And sometimes that's a mask for the other challenges that they are going through in their own lives. Uh, other times, it's, of course, is a reflection of the joy that they feel when they come to a place of worship, and uh, all of those problems are on hold. But yes, it does seem to intensify uh, when you have people who appear to be not authentic, and I think authenticity is one of those things that goes a long way to uh, to helping break down those barriers and to help us to feel accepted and to feel uh, appreciated, and people can actually empathise with us in our own pain because we all go through these painful times. But uh, your thoughts, Kevin Donnelly, on on Sue from Albany and and her uh, having gone through divorce and 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 even the challenge of of what happens when she turns up for church.
2: It's a difficult one. Uh, I mean, I face it as my wife and daughter. We face this every 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 week. Uh, a lot of James's friends that uh, and I taught at the school where James was, and I taught many of his friends. They're all now 30, 34, married, most of them, uh, jobs, children, and we see them uh, quite regularly. And we look at their families and how happy they are and how fulfilled. And it makes me think, well, why did we lose a son and why do, are we suffering? But when when I uh, pray and when I am uh at at mass i feel that there is some comfort there and some reassurance that really if you believe that we were expelled from the garden of eden and that we are not perfect and that life is not a utopia then it's a matter of dealing with that and understanding that we'll all be challenged in different ways
1: Sue from Albany, thanks so much for your insight today. And uh, there is a lesson in the way you share those things, Sue, that says uh, that when we're at local our local church, uh, there is a need for us to be authentic, to be open about uh, the challenges and the struggles that we go through as individuals and as families. But, Sue, thank you so much for sharing your heart with us today on 2020. Let's take one more call. Trish is in Victor Harbour in South Australia. Hello, Trish. Welcome along.
3: Oh, hello, I just wanted to share that um, I had my, uh, uh, my health spiral down and down, and I became depressed and anxious. And uh, what was a sort of a help to me was realizing that I was wanted to be in control of my life. And really, God has to be in control. And that was quite a sort of a, a revelation to me that I just had to trust God. I had to just give it all to him. And then that dear lady who said that everybody in church was looking all together, they're not. What I have found out is that you get to talk to these other people deeply and everybody has their trauma and they're all facing it alone and we need to pray for one another. So that's just my contribution. Trish,
1: it is a wonderful contribution. Thank you so much for sharing your heart with us today. Uh, Your response, Kevin Donnelly?
2: Well, no, that's very true and... uh, it, it's uh, there's a lot of wisdom in, in what the lady was saying there and I agree with what she uh, said and I get back to the fact that uh, you have to give yourself up to something higher you know, in this case God and a belief in God's word because we can't control everything uh, you know the reality is there is often uh, a higher plan that we might not be aware of or we might not be comfortable with but if you give yourself up to that and embrace it then in fact it can give you comfort and solace
1: yes and thank you so much to trish from victor harbour in south australia there is a sense isn't there in which uh, we think we have the reins until something beyond our control uh, takes us by surprise and we realize that we need to have a foundation on which we stand or a foundation in which we rest And for those who have faith in God, we find that the place where we rest is in His palm. Uh, He is taking care of us. But if we have no faith, then somehow or other the bottom doesn't appear to be in sight. We feel like we're spiraling out of control. We'll continue our conversation in just a few moments, draw some loose ends together. We've been talking about taming the black dog. And Dr. Kevin Donnelly, our guest, his book is called Taming the Black Dog. You can get a hold of this book over the internet uh, from Amazon or from iTunes. It's available as an e-reader. And you might like to read Kevin's story a little more in depth and look at the ways that he's come through uh, those dark days of depression that were triggered by that grief and loss.
0: Visions 2020 with Neil Johnson, a biblical
1: perspective on life, culture and current events. Dr. Kevin Donnelly is our guest. We've been talking about his book, Taming the Black Dog, which tells his story, which really starts at the death of his son, James, in a tragic hit and run, and then the ensuing grief and loss and depression. Kevin, when someone gets a hold of your book, I mean, there are some 11 points in the back of the book which actually say these are the sorts of things you need to keep in mind when you're moving through this process. Does it help to have a deeper understanding to move through the process quicker? I mean, in some sense, you don't want to move through the process. Sometimes you want to hold on to memories that actually create grief. But when people get a hold of your book, they're going to see your story. Uh, how valuable uh, do you think it will be for people to share your thoughts and share your heartbeat if they're going through these things?
2: I think it's very important uh, for people to understand that they're not alone and that uh, others like me have suffered. Uh, And at the end of the book, I try and give some practical ideas about what you can do to really never you can never really resolve the issue but you can try and deal with it in a more positive and constructive way. I mean only last weekend I was feeling very flat and and depressed and I washed all the windows around the house <laughs> because what I was told by the grief counsellor was that if you do something physical and get rid of that energy that can, you know, help you deal with what you're suffering. So I think it's very important to look at those different ways of coping with what you're experiencing.
1: And, Kevin, you have a special focus on men. Uh, We tend not to be able to share our hearts so easily. Uh, What's your encouragement to men to be more open with their emotions?
2: When you look at the uh, statistics, the reality is a lot of young men in particular are at risk to self-harm and to suicide and depression. And really what I say to men is that it's okay to open yourself up whether a, to a loved one or to a family friend or to a mate. You know, you need to address the issue. My father, he didn't. It drove him to drink, so he became an alcoholic. And my, my brother, God bless him, Gordon, he didn't deal with it either. So he uh, died just a year ago as an alcoholic. And there's a real danger there that you might get some momentary relief. But the next day, the issues, the problems are all still there. So I'd say to men and young boys in particular, look to role models, look to being open and give yourself up to something higher rather than just trying to bottle it up.
1: Well, Kevin, uh, time has run out, and I want to point people to your book. It's called Taming the Black Dog. It is available from Amazon or on iTunes as an e-reader. And uh, if you get a hold of it, uh, no doubt you'll identify with many of the hardships that are addressed in the book Uh, dr kevin donnelly uh, so the book is taming the black dog it's by dr kevin donnelly kevin's been our guest through this past hour and kevin thank you so much for sharing your heartbeat with us today here on 2020 a pleasure
0: before you go thanks for listening there's lots more great audio on demand or you can listen to us live at visionradio.org.au. and remember vision is listener supported